Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast, brought to you in part by Book of Zen, makers of wearable inspiration for a better world. Today's podcast has been edited and adapted from Essays of an Optimist by John William Kay, published in 1870. I am growing old, and according to all received opinions, I ought not to like it at all. I ought to feel very sad and serious over my lost youth. It is certain that it will never come back again. Once gone, it is gone forever. I know that nothing can bring back the hour of glory to the grass, of splendor to the flower. The verdant, grassy, flowery state has lapsed into the great limbo of the past. It has become a reminiscence. Am I therefore to bewail it? Or is it wiser to accept the situation? The answer, of course, is accept it. And more than that, accept and be grateful for it throwing up my thanks in full faith that if the glory and the splendor have departed, new glories and new splendors have taken their place. It is a very pleasant thought that life is made up of compensations. All nature teaches this one grand lesson. There is seed time and there is summer. There is harvest and there is winter. When autumn comes upon us, when the roses have long since gone, and the leaves on the trees are yellow and falling, are we to regret that it is no longer summer and that the greenery has departed? Have not the rich tints of the autumnal foliage peculiar beauties of their own? As time takes away, so it gives. As it empties, so it replenishes. There is a process of restoration and compensation ever at work in the physical world. And is it not so also in the spiritual? And yet I am afraid that there is some whose nature it is rather to deplore what they have lost than to rejoice in what they have gained. They say that the beautiful has vanished and returns not instead of believing in the great truth that it is continually recreating and renewing itself. One of the great advantages of age is that we are not wont to disturb ourselves by doing things that we do not like, simply for the look of the thing. There is absolute misery and pretentiousness of all kinds, and youth is infinitely more pretentious than age. There are some people who never outlive their vanity, but as a general rule it may be maintained that the longer we live, the less we care what others think of us and the less we strive after effect. We learn in time how little we can ever know, and how ridiculous we make ourselves by pretending to know everything. When we have learned to say, I am as ignorant as a child on this or that subject, or as powerless as a baby to do this or that thing. 
We have mastered one of the great difficulties of life. We have entered upon a new stage of our career. There is no need, on the other hand, of any great parade of humility. You are a man or woman. Be thankful for it. It is no humiliation that you are not a god. If your neighbor knows what you do not know, and can do what you cannot do, the chances are that you know and can do some things which are out of the circle of your neighbor's potentiality. Be content then. Turn what you know and what you can do to the best possible account, and be neither elated because you know so much, nor depressed because you know so little. If contentment of this kind contributes, as I believe it very greatly does, to our happiness, age has a vast advantage over youth. The great lesson of life, the one of all others best worth learning, is that which teaches us thoroughly to appreciate the fact of the little that we know. This is a lesson which no young person has ever learned. There is no royal road to it. We come upon it after a long journey, and after sore travail, footsore, sunburnt, stained, and bramble-torn. There is infinite satisfaction in it when we acquire it at last. All knowledge is of high worth, but I believe we are of most use to our fellow human beings by applying our little intellect to the mastery of one subject. The word mastery must be understood only in a limited sense, for true it is, as Pascal justly philosophizes, that no person can know all that is to be known about any one subject, even if they give their whole life to the study. If a person devotes their life to the study of pin-making and makes better pins than all the rest of the world, they by no means live an unprofitable life. A pin is a very small thing. It is indeed a symbol of worthlessness. The old phrase, a pin's fee, used to mean next to nothing. But civilized humanity cannot do without pins. And the inventor of a new pin, say for example a pin that will fasten without pricking or scratching, would be fairly entitled to take rank among the benefactors of humankind. A button, too, is another little thing. Not worth a button is an old expression of contempt. But to invent a really serviceable button would be a great effort of humanity. A button that will not play at fast and loose, but will hold fast with an abiding sense of purpose for which it was invented. Anyone who does something better than everyone else is to be accounted one of the men and women of the age, whilst those who squander their strength on many vain things are condemned to be utterly unprofitable servants. But we must take care that this concentration of ourselves does not betray us into an error to which I am afraid our natural egotism is prone. We must take care that we do not come in time so to narrow our sympathies by continually dwelling upon our pins and our buttons 
as to believe that the world has nothing else worth living for, that humankind is divided into only two kinds of people, the makers and the consumers of pins and buttons, and that all that beyond the great material fact of pindom and buttondom is mere surplus and refuse. Your calling may be something higher than that of making pins and buttons, or you may think that it is, and still your egotism is equally absurd. Was the world made only that you should build cities or discover comets or put odds and ends of fossils together as the framework of extinct animals? You may not quite think that, but you may err after a like fashion though not in the same degree. It is the commonest thing for people to attach undue importance to their own pursuits, and in like proportion to undervalue, somewhat scornfully perhaps, the pursuits of others. It is a foolish, small-minded thing to do, and the meaner the occupation is, I am inclined to think, the greater the store that is set by it. No honest occupation is in itself mean, but some pursuits are doubtless less ennobling than others, and money-making for the mere sake of making money is not perhaps the very highest. When you know what you can do and what you cannot do, what you are and what you are not, the voyage of life is comparatively smooth sailing. You cease to be disturbed by vain anxieties and restless discontents. You may have failed or you may have succeeded, but anyhow, be it success or be it failure, it is a fait accompli. You accept your position and you are at all events tranquil. Failure itself is far better than the fear of failure. We can reconcile ourselves to it when it comes but the common lot of life is neither to succeed nor to fail, but to hit the line of mediocrity, halfway between success and failure. Whatever it may be, the only real wisdom and the only real happiness consists in reconciling yourself to it with boundless faith that it is all right. As long as having the third or fourth place you believe that you ought to have the first or second. You are a wretch, and there is no peace for you. But people who have lived forty or fifty years in the world have generally had this sort of nonsense knocked out of them. They have, for the most part, learned to believe what young persons are very prone to deny, that the world is, on the whole, tolerably just to its inmates that most people get pretty well what they deserve. Neglected merit is, in reality, a much rarer thing than we believe at the outset of life. At 25, a person often thinks that the world is in a conspiracy against them. At 45, they acknowledge that the only conspirators have been their own indolence and incapacity or perhaps their presumption and self-conceit. They cease then to give way to vain complaints, and humbly, thankfully acknowledge that their slender merits have met with ample reward.
Life is made up of small joys and small sorrows, and the longer we live, the better we learn not to disturb ourselves about trifles. A person who has fought the battle of life, who has encountered some stern realities in the course of their career, is not very likely to suffer themselves to be made wretched by imaginary evils. They are assured of their position, they know what it is and whence it is derived, and they do not disturb themselves about circumstances which do not really affect it. And so, even when our troubles are at the worst, we now have an assured conviction that we shall surmount them. The past gives us confidence in the future. We have lived down other troubles. Shall we not live down these? So I think that while in advanced years we are much less prone than in youth to disturb ourselves about imaginary evils, we have far more strength to contend with real ones and far more faith to live them down. One of the lessons which we learn by growing old is that all things work together, not for evil but for good. Let us think calmly and quietly over the reverses which we have sustained at different periods of our lives, of the disappointments which we have encountered, of accidents which at the time of their occurrence we consider to be gigantic calamities. How small they appear even in themselves when looking at them as we approach the summit of the hill of life. But think of them in connection with later events and with our present position, and the chances are that we shall come to recognize them as blessings in disguise. Our very misfortunes save us. Again, it is to be observed that as we grow old, we arrive at a just conception of the great truth that the pains and pleasures of life are pretty equally distributed over the world. We come to learn that if in some one respect Providence has been more frugal with her favors to us than to our friends, that in others we have had our full share, or more than our full share. If money has been scant, we have enjoyed a large measure of health. If we have been disappointed in our pursuit of fame, we have been compensated by a rich portion of love. We are sure to find our compensation somewhere. As we grow older, in a world so full of blessings, we should never look upon daily life as becoming dreary. In the commonest things and in the most commonplace people, there is something to interest us if we do not willfully close our eyes against it. It is our own fault if we do not see it. It is our own egotism that blinds us. If we could be successfully cured of that moral cataract, we should see plainly that life is not a dreary desert, but a cheerful garden that stretches out before us, even in the most beaten paths of an unexciting small-town life. We enlarge our sympathies as we grow old. The scales of egotism fall from our eyes, and we see an inner life of beauty and kindliness beneath what is outwardly unattractive and unpromising. 
I know nothing in the blundering, puppy-blind, self-importance of youth, for which I would give up this deeper insight into life, this enlarged love of humanity. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts of our podcast, please go to livinghour.org. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, which will ensure that we can continue our podcast for years to come. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Simply do a quick search for the Inspirational Living Podcast at patreon.com to find our Patreon page and learn more, including the free gifts we offer to every patron. Subscribe to our free podcast today at the iTunes Store, or at Google Play, or at stitcher.com. Thank you for listening. We look forward to being with you next time.